Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll be talking about Lloyd's and RBS and HSBC ahead of their announcements of their quarterly results this week. Both Lloyd's and RBS, these part state-owned banks, are said to be showing continued signs of recovery. There are some fears that some of the improving trends may now start to slow, particularly around the net interest margin. We'll then take a look at movements in leadership in a number of the big banks. It looks like Gary Hoffman, who's chief executive of Northern Rock, that he may be stepping down an announcement that could come as early as, as today or maybe later this week. And leading on from that, we'll finish the show with a look at what came out of the hearing of the Committee of European Banking Supervisors held last Friday in London on pay and bonuses. A big overriding concern about this is that it reduces the competitiveness of European-based institutions and that over time what we'll see is a difficulty for EU-based institutions that it will be much more difficult for them to recruit and retain talent. I'm joined this week by Charlene Goff, our banking correspondent, and Megan Murphy, our investment banking correspondent. And we have Justin Baer on the line in New York for our regular update about the banking sector in America, stateside. Let's go straight to New York. Over to you, Justin. Thank you, Patrick. Last week, Wall Street heard some disturbing news on the health of AIG's chief executive. Goldman Sachs made a convincing case to investors that it will be around for at least another half century. A pair of smaller firms offered updates on their plans to take business from the big banks and the foreclosure crisis continued to roil the U.S. mortgage industry. First off, AIG employees and investors were stunned by news this past week that Bob Ben Moshe, the insurer's CEO, has cancer. Credited with making a promising start in paying back the government for its bailout during the crisis, Mr. Ben Moshe has said he feels fine and intends to stay on with the company while he seeks treatment. AIG's board has said that it would appoint Chairman Steve Miller as interim CEO should Mr. Ben Moshe need to step down before 2012. Goldman turned to an unlikely source of, for very, very long-term funding last week, retail investors. The investment bank sold $1.3 billion in 50-year bonds, benefiting from the voracious appetite for higher-yielding debt at a time of historically low interest rates. Demand for the deal appeared to signal confidence that the bank can ride out its current difficulties. One of Goldman's longest-running rivals, Lazard, posted quarterly results that beat Wall Street expectations. Lacking the massive trading operations that Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and other big banks boast has probably never looked better as trading activity has remained in a protracted slump. This has underlined Lazard's core strength in merger advice and its budding asset management arm. Goldman's former chairman, John Corzine, made news of his own this week when his new firm, derivatives dealer MF Global, bought a public policy research firm, uh, Washington Research Group. The deal is a small one, but it is part of Corzine's push to transform the plucky company into a full-fledged investment bank. As the effects of financial regulatory reform and international capital standards continue to ripple through the big banks, we should all expect to hear and see more firms like Lazard and MF Global stake their claim on businesses once dominated by the big banks. Uh, Another such business the big banks might be happy to surrender on mortgage banking remained under fire this past week. Uh, Wells Fargo has joined other big mortgage servicers in acknowledging that they had found problems 
with the way it processed foreclosures. There is no end in sight to this controversy, as state and federal regulators have just begun investigations into these practices. That's it for me. Back to you, Patrick. Thanks very much, Justin. So let's get started with the bank results. We've had most of the European, continental European results over the past week or two. This week brings the UK results. Charlene, what do you think the prospects are? Are we going to see the likes of RBS and Lloyds show similarly disappointing numbers compared with the European rivals? Well, I think Lloyds could be a bit more positive. I mean, it doesn't have a big investment banking division, so it's very exposed to the retail market, and that has been improving. We saw considerable uh, improvement there in the first half of the year, and analysts are hoping for signs that the bank has managed to build on that in the third quarter. Although there are some fears that some of the improving tr- trends may now start to slow, particularly around the sort of net interest margin that the bank is making. It's come under a little bit more pressure on mortgages recently. So that could maybe start to erode some of the improvement that we saw uh, in the first half. But there is still one of the big drivers of the improvements will be a continued fall in bad loans. I mean, we should really see that continue to come through. And I guess on on the on the margin front, although if the, the improving trend there um, abates, that's obviously... Uh, not good news for the numbers, but it could head off a political storm, I suppose, in the sense that that did seem to be a potential issue. The more Lloyds, which dominates the retail banking market in the UK, was benefiting from wider margins, the more political outcry that could have been, particularly with the Banking Commission. Particularly in the first half, the group did see some quite chunky margins coming through. I mean, it does. we do have to take into account that it's paying more for its funds. And actually, a big part of the trend was a repricing of its back book rather than some of the new lending it was doing. Lloyd's isn't actually doing a huge amount of new lending. So even if it is charging quite high margins that's you know not really benefiting the group to a huge extent but like you say I mean if mortgage prices are coming down that will definitely take some of the steam out of the debate over Lloyd's. And what about RBS? RBS is coming on Friday and we should actually get some more detailed numbers than we get on Lloyd's which is a sort of fairly uh, basic trading statement so I think we should see again impairments falling I mean there were a few concerns around that we might see bad debts tick up a little bit in some areas but the overall trend will be down we're also looking for more progress in the in the restructuring of RBS obviously we're still very much in the middle of that so any sort of signs that this made further progress running down the non-core assets will be good. Again, that may have slowed slightly in the third quarter, so that's one to watch out for. RBS is also much more exposed to some of the more negative investment banking trends that we've seen in the last three months, so we'll see how hard it's been hit there. Megan, I mean, what do you think the... We can learn for the likes of RBS and HSBC and, and Barclays, which which follows a bit later, in terms of their investment bank performance from, from what's happened in Europe over the past couple of weeks. But what, what are the numbers there from Deutsche and UBS and Credit Suisse tell us? It's been a very choppy uh, results season for the big Europeans that have reported. Obviously, we saw the bar was set very, very low with some of the people that came back, UBS's numbers, which were very bad by pretty much by their internal as well as external analysts. Credit Suisse, marginally better in Deutsche, actually delivering a, a pretty strong performance on, on trading and didn't see the fall off in trading that UBS and Credit Suisse had seen. So I think what we're really going to see that's going to be interesting is obviously Barclays to watch out for in their bar cap division, their equities performance, which is a division they've really been trying to build out. 
whether or not we saw any gains on that after you know massive expense in hiring and building out the platform. So that's really added to their cost base. So that's going to be the figure I think that most analysts are really going to be watching. Then again, you, you just don't know. I mean, we saw Deutsche last week posting very strong earnings in both fixed income currency and commodities, which is their powerhouse division, but they also kept up their equities performance rather well, whereas Credit Suisse and UBS saw a slowdown. So I think we're in for a very mixed record. You know, RBS obviously will suffer from the trading performance that everyone else has, but I think we're not going to see even across. I think we'll see some, you know, we'll see some noticeable some noticeable differences between them. Bank succession. Let's move on to, to that. It's been a topic for, for a couple of months now with the uh, chief executives of, of several of the big UK banks and across Europe going. We expect to have another albeit smaller, departure announced this week. Is that right, Charlene? It looks like Gary Hoffman, who's chief executive of Northern Rock, that he may be stepping down an announcement that could come as early as, as today or this week, maybe later this week. This is really interesting because although I mean, Northern Rock has completed a, a big chunk of its restructuring this year, there's still a lot to do. And Gary Hoffman, who was brought in two years ago to really return the Nationalised Bank back to health. He was very key to that. Um, and UKFI, which manages the government's stakes in all the banks, I mean, it owns Northern Rock, they were very keen to have him leading you know, the, the full restructuring of Northern Rock and also leading the sale process to return the lender back into the private sector. Because of all the, of all the, the, the state-owned banks, this is the one that could be sold back yeah. into the private sector soonest. Yeah. And people had talked about that process even beginning in the next, what, six to 12 months. I yeah, guess. I mean, we would expect it pretty soon. I mean, the the restructuring were, you know, as people remember that Northern Rock is being split up into a sort of effectively good bank, bad bank scenario. The good bank is likely to be sold maybe as early as next year. That restructuring is almost done. There's still a couple of months of, you know, finalising that. But then, you know, that was the process that Gary Hoffman would really be in a good position to lead. He knows the bank very well. He's nursed it back to health. And it seems like he's going to be leaving just as that process is kicking off. Do we have confirmation of where he's going to go? The rumour is that he is one of the candidates in the running for this new bank that's been set up by Lord Levine. At the moment, this is just a cash shell. It's raised 50 million. It's floated on the AIM market. But it's very far from being a bank. Its intention is to buy up some of the assets being sold by the government. I mean, it, it, the one it really wants is Lloyd's Banking Group, the 600 branches that Lloyd's is going to be selling probably next year. But it may also be looking at Northern Rock. So obviously, Mr. Hoffman would be in a very good position to lead that sale. Well, we'll, we'll monitor that, obviously, over the week, as well as any of the other succession stories. It's interesting that Gary Hoffman was originally one of the names that had been mentioned for the Lloyds yeah. uh, job, which which is, is trundling along. I think that the, the uh, process of replacing Eric Daniels there will we'll obviously be keeping a watch on that. Finally, on to our last topic of pay and bonuses, which is Megan's specialist subject. We had the Committee of European Banking Supervisors last week on Friday talking about pay and bonuses. What came out of that, Megan, and, and what does that mean for the future of city pay? Yeah, it was an interesting meeting, um, packed by sort of bank lobbyists, uh, lawyers, a lot of lawyers in the room, uh, about 100 people last Friday in London. And I think what came out of it was actually relatively surprising for the group was that SEBS, uh, the members of, of SEBS that were there, and it was chaired by the Belgian, by a few of the Belgian regulators, basically said, these are the rules, there's not going to be any concession from them. And perhaps 
quite alarmingly, any of the sort of very real problems, really practical problems that are emerging from the set of guidelines. Uh, they're just going to have to lump it and see how to deal with it almost after they come into effect. Now, just to, just to put this into context, SEBS, um, SEBS released their guidelines on pay and bonuses that are I think by any measure, probably the most onerous uh, in the world that have been released to date. It will see top bankers see as much as 60% of their pay and bonuses, I mean, of their bonus deferred over three to five years and and coupled with a separate, what's being called a retention policy, which will force senior bankers to hold any share-based incentive payments for a separate period of time. It could see uh, bonus pay, the cash component of bonus pay capped at as little as 20%. Now, some of the teething problems that have emerged from this is, is first and foremost, and actually as, as first really written about by, by you, Patrick, was the tax problem in the sense that senior bankers are very concerned that share-based incentive payments as part of bonuses, that they will be forced to pay the tax on those when they're granted, even though they won't be able to sell those shares for several years under this retention period uh, element. Now, that actually does, although we hear a lot of, although some people characterize it as whinging from sort of very high earners, there does create the scenario where people actually won't have the money to pay the tax on their share-based incentives. And that actually is a practical program. That was a a big topic of conversation on Friday. And SEBS essentially took a punt on this and said, we realize that is an issue. And it's really something we can't do anything about because this was required as part of the legislation. So I think that surprised a lot of people in the room who thought they were going to have them say, we're going to look at this. Clearly, we're going to take your concerns and we might redraft it. The response was instead, please send us your concerns in a written letter, but there's really nothing we can do on this. So that was quite surprising. There are other controversial elements um, of the program at a practical level, but again, the big overriding concern about this is that it reduces the competitiveness of European-based institutions because the guidelines as they stand apply to the worldwide operations of EU-based institutions, but only to the European businesses of banks based in the U.S. and Asia, and that over time what we'll see is a difficulty for EU-based institutions. And that's not just the Barclays and the HSBCs, but you know the BNP Paribas, the SOCGENs of this world, that it will be much more difficult for them to recruit and retain talent in some of the most competitive markets, such as Wall Street and, and obviously Hong Kong and Singapore. And, and so that, again, was, a, was another big concern voiced. Interesting. I mean, although uh, SEBS is, is t- seems to be taking a hard line, I'm sure we haven't heard the end of the lobbying from the from the investment banking community in particular. I think uh, I think there is some really serious lobbying, and I actually think the meeting will see the lobbying ramp up to another another level almost, just because the response was you could see almost with some of the questions that were being asked, particularly on this tax point, that it was actually something that it was unclear whether the regulators have, had actually thought through quite all the ramifications. Because the problem, I think, for many bankers is that you have this sort of system where now you're being forced to take more of your bonus and shares. But if you have to retain those shares, it's separate for a separate period, it actually does create this problem was you don't have money to pay the tax on the shares, and you're being awarded a much bigger proportion in shares. You know, so that's being what it say. Last week, I mean, again, the level of sympathy, it's, 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 again, difficult to gauge. I mean, when last week, we had UBS trying to raise the minimum, the cap on the amount of cash they can pay their senior bankers above a million. So it's it's unclear what, what sort of political climate we're in still with regards to bonuses as well. And I think that will also be a major factor going forward. Well, that's a theme we'll, we'll all be watching very closely. Um, well, certainly right through till bonus paying season uh, in the, the early part of next year. 
that's all we have time for today, sadly. All that's left is for me to thank Charlene and Megan in the studio and Justin Bear in New York, and to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filotrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.